Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you in part by Growmark FS. For over 95 years, we've led the game. Power, we restored it. Protection, we reinvented it. Record yields, we redefined it. If there's one thing we know at FS, it's that just because something hasn't been done doesn't mean it can't be done. We're never satisfied unless we take your farming operation to the next level. Run your equipment at peak efficiency and bust the bins this season. Visit fssystem.com. The views and opinions of this program are those of the host, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, we largely had a quiet day in grains and livestock on Friday with a little bit of green on the screen across the board as we headed into the three-day Christmas holiday weekend. Thanks for joining us here on the program today. Welcome to Market Talk. I'm your host, Jesse Allen, and we uh, wrapped up the week of trade on a somewhat positive note. We found a little bit of green on the screen across grains and livestock as we headed into the Christmas holiday. What is uh, what, what are some things we need to watch, though, in this trade as we move forward through Christmas and into the end of the year? Well, we're going to dive in and talk about it as we wrapped up Friday's session. We'll have analysis here on the program today with Christy Van On. She sits with Van On and Company. She'll join us coming up at segment two and three and provide her perspective on these markets. I know traders have been watching South American weather as one item in the trade and then the issues with rail on the U.S.-Mexico border. Now, on Friday, the news did come out that Customs and Border Patrol did reopen the rail passes at Eagle Pass in El Paso, Texas. Uh, but has the damage already been done in terms of the log jam of trains that we have on either side of the border and the goods that have been sitting for uh, over a week? And so we're going to talk to Christy about that and see if she has any thoughts on if there's uh, any long-term impact here through the end of the year with this situation. Markets didn't necessarily really have it reflected on Friday's trade or really throughout the week, but it's an issue that we want to talk about. So, again, we'll uh, talk with Christy Van On. She sits with Van On and Company coming up here in segment two and three today. First up, though, let's get some analysis with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at Stone X. This will be the last time we talked to Arlen before the end of the year. And I talked with him a little before midday on Friday, before the news came out about those uh, rail crossings being reopened on the U.S.-Mexico border. But we did discuss some of the impacts that could be seen with that week-long closure there. And we talk about some of this, just the overall holiday mode in the grain markets as we wrapped up Friday's session to head to the Christmas holiday weekend. Here are those comments with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at Stone X, starting with the grain conversation. Yeah, exactly right. It's ironic. If we had this type of uh, a problem getting corn shipped to China, which China is, isn't importing that much. If you look at Mexican imports of corn, it's uh, uh, estimated to be around 770 million bushels this year. So that's a huge chunk of what we export every year, but yet the market's really not too concerned about it. Um, and, and that's probably fortunate for farmers right now because we don't need any other bad news. Um, this corn market's got enough uh, supply problems, concerns right now, anyway, to weigh on it. Perhaps that's why we're in the negative when 
much of the rest of the marketplace is seeing positives this morning with the dollar um, getting pressed to new five-month lows. So um, corn market just been pretty quiet, either side of unchanged, mostly on the weak side. The charts continuing to look poor as we look at the gap to where the December contract went off the board at 456 and three quarters and the March acting like it wants to go that way. Getting a little bit of a bounce in soybeans. Uh, It's raining in center west Brazil right now. There are widespread thunderstorms right now in that region. I was just checking the radar. Um, But yeah, we're bouncing because uh, we kind of held some areas of chart support uh, and and that chart support would be uh, the October lows for the March contract. And so that's giving us a little bit of support so far going into the weekend. Um, but if those rains continue to fill in, that may be a problem holding. We'll get more production estimates here over the next week to 10 days. We'll see where that goes. Um, wheat, similar type of thing, technical bounce, nothing really fresh there. I wonder, moving through the end of the year, Arlen, uh, with some of these things we're watching, should farmers maybe be on the lookout for some regional basis pops potentially here before the end of the year as end users try to pry some of this uh, corn and or soybeans and storage out of their hands here before the end of the year? Yeah, if you can get that, that may be worth taking. But uh, unfortunately, those are hard to come by this time of year a lot because a lot of processors know that Farmers have a uh, new grain contracted for the new tax year and uh, tend to release some after the new tax year starts January 1st. So they think, well, if we can get by till then, um, but some of them occasionally will do a pop because they're running out. And uh, if you're paying attention to that, you can have some opportunities to, to really grab some good offers. We've seen some of those play out already, and um, those are worth taking a look at. And livestock, real quick, ahead of this afternoon's uh, reports after the close. Uh, a little bit of squaring again, some green on the screen there, but uh, largely feels like those uh, markets are just going to drift into those reports, and then we'll we'll come back next week and potentially, most likely, trade whatever those uh, reports have to say in livestock, Arlen. Yeah, we like it when these reports come out when the markets aren't open, but in this case, they're coming, uh, both the cattle on feed and quarterly hogs and pigs reports coming out after the markets close, uh, but going into an extended three-day holiday weekend, and then following when the markets do reopen, it'll be a more thinly traded market as well, so that can amplify the moves. Um, so that's going to be interesting to see how we react on Tuesday, of course, seeing what the numbers are today. We are expecting on feed count for cattle to be about 2% higher, um, but placements be down about uh, 4 to 5, most about 4%. Uh, marketing's down almost 7% uh, for November in these numbers. On the quarterly hogs and pigs report, looking for the breeding herd to be around 6 million head, about the lowest we've seen in six or seven years. And then we'll see if that's enough to really kind of offset some of the problems with Prop 12 out of California and maybe get some good balance. A number of hogs being slaughtered should be starting to decline going forward as well. And once again, Arlen Suderman there, Chief Commodities Economist at Stone X, joined us for midday commentary on Friday. Uh, one news item that uh, just came across my desk, I want to add this here before we get to the break. The state of Massachusetts had asked a federal court to dismiss a lawsuit challenging the state's animal welfare law, saying in a motion this week that the plaintiff Food companies have proven no harm from complying with the law. 
The Prevention of Farm Animal Cruelty Act came about after Massachusetts voters supported the 2016 ballot initiative known as Question 3. Now, the law took effect in June of 2022, and on the heels of a Supreme Court ruling that upheld California's Proposition 12, a group of farms, food, and processing companies in July of this year, they asked the U.S. District Court for the District of Massachusetts to halt enforcement of the law. Now, the farms and pork processors filing legal action include Triumph Foods, LLC, Christensen Farms Midwest, LLC, the Hanor Company of Wisconsin, LLC, New Fashion Pork, LLC, Eichelberger Farms Incorporated, and Allied Producers Cooperative. Thirteen states have also joined the lawsuit. Now, the state of Massachusetts has said that so far Triumph has not shown the state's law prevents the company from meeting its contract obligations. Again, the state of Massachusetts saying that the companies that have sued have failed to prove damage from animal welfare law, and they want the question three lawsuit dismissed. All right, coming up next, we're going to take a look at the market trade as we wrapped up Friday's session. Christy Vanon, she sits with Vanon and Company, joins us next here on Market Talk. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now back to Jesse Allen. Well, as the grain market and the livestock markets quietly sauntered their way into the Christmas holiday weekend, we saw mostly green on the screen to wrap up Friday's session. We're going to talk about how these markets are looking through the Christmas holiday and into the end of the year. Joining us for analysis, Christy Vanon. She sits with Vanon and Company is back with us here on Market Talk. Christy, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to you and yours. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Yes, same to you. Well, let's start with uh, just kind of that general holiday mode in the markets on Friday, although we did get a little bit of green on the screen, which was a nice sight heading into the uh, Christmas weekend as uh, trade will get back to it on Tuesday. I got to ask, though, let's start with this, uh, some of the breaking news that came out here on Friday. The rail crossings in Texas have been reopened as of Friday afternoon. That's been an item that's been in this trade here this week. Uh, and I, it feels like I, traders didn't necessarily trade this news because it was late on Friday. A lot of people are out of the market. But what's your thoughts on how this news has impacted the markets or, or not impacted the markets in grains this week? Yeah, corn was initially doing a good job holding lows, right? So your contract low at the start of the week for March corn was 470 and a half. We were doing a really good job holding that. Buying came in around 471 to 472, and you felt pretty good about it, right? As good as you can for corn, I should say, right? And so uh, you're feeling pretty good. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you saw this liquidation start to happen and make some new contract lows. Initially, I thought it was kind of some selling pressure to show up just because you did make those new lows. As soon as you did that, you probably triggered some sell stops in there. But I really think it had to do with the rail information. And we're going to digest this to see, you know, it was not shut down for that long. But we all know that a short amount of time can cause such problems for our infrastructure. And so we need to be watching this moving forward. Basis levels need to be attentive to. But it's it's up and running. But the big question now is, you know, these are those little black swan uh, stories that we can't really 
expectance in the market. We don't know how to read them. And so for it to come in and happen when corn is really sensitive to begin with just because of its fundamentals, this is not what we want to see. So all your hopes, I think there's a lot of a lot of corn that really needs to get sold here yet out of the farmer's hand. And this isn't what you want to see because really you're hoping to be able to get back to these retracements. You're hoping to be able to get something out of the corn. And these stories are not friends to corn. Well, and in terms of this too, I wonder even with, you know, a week long shutdown, just with the amount of rail cars and the amount of goods getting backed up on either side of the border, do you think this, you, you mentioned, you know, basis, we need to be attentive to it. Do you think this could depress some basis here in the interior uh, as we get into this week ahead, this final week of the year and, and move into 2024? What do you think, Christy? Yeah, initially the start of the week, there was some friendly basis pushes off the PNW. Uh, so if you were kind of central to West Central uh, in the Western Corn Belt, you really were starting to see these pushes, which was needed because if you look at the Dakotas, they had a lot of corn um, that was combined. And so you needed this push because ethanol's really been the only one being able to give a decent basis. So you got that friendly news and then it just seemed like everything was taken away with with what happened over in Mexico, even though the PNW bids are still there, they're still strong, but it definitely was a damper on it. And I just can cannot um, really state how much corn is in that Western Corn Belt that needs to get going. So if we could see this open back up and get moving, I think that could be great, but it really did depress the basis for a little bit and took away that friendly story that we had. And to be honest, corn doesn't have many friendly stories right now. So when we get them, we really need to capitalize on them. And we weren't able to do that this time around because of it. In terms of farmers selling here on this corn market, I'm going to stay with corn here specifically yeah. for a second. There's there's still plenty of carry in this market. Uh, but to here during this holiday period, you mentioned this to me before we uh, went on the air, that, that some of the spread activity here in these markets really kind of waned into the Christmas holiday. But as you look at this market as a whole, I mean, thinking about moving into 2024, those bin doors could start to open up a little bit more here as we roll that calendar officially over and get to a new tax season. But I wonder, you know, farmer selling has been pretty low. Will farmers continue to hold here to try and find a better price? Yeah, you know, I initially had thought that you were going to see farmers be really stubborn with their corn, that you were not going to see these bin doors open. And I agree with that still. Um, the difference is we are having some crazy favorable weather in so many areas of the Corn Belt right now. You know, like here, I honestly cannot remember a Christmas that we didn't have snow. We have no snow. So, um, in fact, it's been like drizzly all day long, calling for some rain on Monday. Um, you know, throughout North Dakota, South Dakota, they don't have much snow either. It's really been ideal weather to be trucking grain right now. And so I do think that if we continue this forecast into the new year, um, you are going to start to see people say, well, the weather's really good. Maybe I'm going to get some out, especially if there's free DP right now so I can get it out while the weather's good um, and I'm not battling, you know, snowstorms or icy roads or all of those issues. Now I realize that's kind of a, a select area in Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, but that's real right now. And I think that's where you're seeing that kind of um, put a damper on basis as well. For those that are offering free DP right now, I do think they're getting the bushels just because of the weather that's around right now. Um, also, when you're talking about spreads, you're talking about the carry in the market for corn. It is still very great to see this carry in the corn. So if you really are looking at your corn, you're looking at HTAs and you're saying, hey, I don't think that I necessarily am going to want to deliver in Jan or Feb. 
I would say that you should take advantage of this carry that's in there and roll it to the March or the from March to the May contract. By the end of March, you're going to be delivering on a May contract. So really, I think right now is a perfect time frame to sit down and really strategically try and plan out when you're going to deliver these HTAs. Because if you look at beans and you can see the carry between the March, the Jan and March contract, even when we liquidated, even when we came back to 13, the carry has really eroded between the Jan to March contract. There's not much carry at all there when there really was a, a pretty significant one to begin with. And so I'm afraid you could see that happen, especially if you aren't going to see farmers selling that you, you're going to start coming in here and decaying that carry. So really sit down, think through that. And if you aren't going to deliver it Jan Feb, get those contracts rolled out. Another thought too, you mentioned some of those things, you know, looking at delivery periods and more. And I know right away in January, we got a big USDA report that is always volatile, always uh, can throw a surprise or two out there with just so much data that floods the market. And with corn, you know, specifically, we got a lot of corn out there in the world. So I wonder, should farmers, what should they be thinking about risk management specifically to corn ahead of that big USDA report in January, Christy? Yeah, I cannot stress how important this crop report is. So um, I know people have been frustrated with USDA. There hasn't been a lot of movement out of USDA crop report, so it's easy to kind of push it off. What's the worst case scenario that could happen? The market does nothing out of this. At least you're being prepared for something bad happening. So I really think to sit down and talk through your marketing ideas before January 12th is so important for not only corn, but also for soybeans. There's a lot of pencils being pushed right now for these numbers. And to be honest, we had a pretty favorable harvest. We had a quick harvest in a lot of these areas. And so USDA has kind of just been okay, not adjusting too much. They got their initial push early in the fall to adjust the production. And then I think they've really just decided we got enough data in the beginning to give us a close enough estimate. Let's not worry about that until January to do the final. And so that's a concern of ours that you could really see them start to adjust those numbers because they haven't taken it. You know, your numbers are really all over the place. You're going to get harvested acres adjustments, yield adjustments, production adjustments. Um, demand you're going to get quarterly stocks there's so much out of this report and that's what makes it such a big deal is that really um you can take all sorts of different sets of data and push it in the direction that you want to trade this market well once again we're having a conversation today with christy van on she says with van on and company as we wrapped up trade action on friday into the christmas holiday weekend we're going to continue our conversation coming up here after the break, and we'll talk a little bit more on these grains. We'll touch on the livestock trade as well. As we have no markets, of course, on Monday for the Christmas holiday, traders will get back at things on Tuesday with the day session. Some of the closes from Friday's action. March corn was up a half a penny on Friday, 473. July corn was up a half a penny, 495 and a half. January soybeans up two and a half, 1299 and three quarters. March beans up four and a half, 1306 and a quarter. January bean meal up 420 a ton, 399.60. January bean oil down 51 points, 48.53. Chicago wheat for March up three and three quarters, six sixteen and a quarter. March Kansas City wheat was down three and three quarters at six twenty-three. Minneapolis spring wheat for March that finished unchanged seven fourteen and a quarter. December live cattle down fifty one seventy oh five. February down fifteen one sixty eight fifty two. Feeder cattle January one oh five higher two twenty two seventy five. March up one oh two two twenty four forty. February hogs 70 higher, 7135. April lean hogs up 62 at 7757. 
Again, we're having a conversation here today with Christy Van On. She's with Van On and Company as we wrapped up the week and look at the markets headed through the Christmas holiday. We'll continue that conversation coming up after the break here on Market Talk. Your local FS is member-owned, and that means when you buy our flagship brands like FS Envision and FS High Soy, you're actually buying seed from yourself. And you wouldn't sell yourself anything but the best, would you? In field after field, FS brands are out-yielding the competition. Talk to your local FS crop specialist about Envision corn or High Soy soybean seed today. At harvest, you'll be glad you did. Envision and High Soy are available exclusively at your local FS member company. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. We are joined today by Christy Van On. She sits with Van On and Company for our market analysis as we wrapped up Friday and headed into the Christmas holiday. Uh, on soybeans here too, Christy, uh, we had a comment on our Market Talk YouTube channel this past week, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase this, uh, but... I want to pose the question to you. I know South American weather, of course, has been a fairly big talking point here in this market. It's largely the only talking point in these markets for the last few weeks. Um, the comment was made, though, that it's not necessarily being talked about enough just how much rain they really need in Brazil because the soil types are different. It's not like here in the U.S., et cetera. And one farmer made the comment that, and it seemed like to me the comment was indicative that he's pretty bullish, the soybean market, that if these rains don't verify in South America, that I wonder the upside potentials in soybeans here, if it could be fairly great. Uh, just your thoughts with this soybean complex overall as we watch this South American weather, do you think there's a lot of bullish upside here into January? Yeah, so sometimes I, I I struggle with these questions because I don't want people to be like, oh, Christy's on again. She's always bearish, right? Because I promise you, I do get bullish. When I'm bullish, it's actually quite fun. But my goal, my job is risk management. So I am going to take that natural look at where the risks are. So when you're looking at soybeans, um, I have no problem being friendly soybeans. You're correct. They have been dry the rains that they have received have not been that great. It does look like their weather pattern starts to shift, though, that you start to get more flow coming in and you start to see these. My difficulty is that if we rewind this five months, right, four months, the whole talk was the fact that Brazil was going to have record production because of acreage, right? So we are coming into a position where even if you have yield decline, there was a sheer amount of acreage planted that it's going to take a lot of crop damage to really push this market real low. We need to also focus on South America as a whole. Argentina's got some great conditions right now. So really, when you look at the two of them together and you put Brazil and Argentina together, you're going to have to have some serious, serious issues in production in Brazil to change the dynamic year over year. Right now, you're forecasted anywhere from like 15 to 18 million metric ton higher production in soybeans out of South America because of the change in Argentina. So if you're coming in here and most private estimates are saying, okay, we initially thought 165, now we're down to 161 for USDA. Some private estimates are 160. We got one at 158 yesterday. Those aren't enough cuts to really change the dynamic year over year that we're having more production out of South America. So that's where I get nervous. That's where I get really nervous to say, hey, 
you you are going to not have a bumper crop out of Brazil, but is it enough to cause a drastic shift in the world dynamic? And at this point, I think traders are looking at it and saying, I'm not so sure it's going to. Now, once we get in the field, once you get actual yields, that might change a little bit, but there is a reason for this market to be risk off when you start to see those rains show up. I want to ask you about the wheat side of the grain trade as well. Largely, Chicago, KC, and Minneapolis wheat have trended higher in the month of December. A lot of that on the back of the China buying of SRW wheat. Uh, but I wonder, too, you know, China's kind of disappeared from buying U.S. wheat once again here near the end of the year. And Feels like to me the wheat markets have kind of cooled off. Some of that could be holiday trade, but I wonder your thoughts in wheat in general as we wrap up the year. Is it going to take China stepping back into this market potentially to give us another leg higher, or are we kind of going to be range bound here? What do you think? Yeah, so when you talk to some individuals on the cash side of things, um, I think a lot of those people are friendly on the wheat side. They feel like the bids are good. They feel like the demand is there. And so that gives me a little bit of optimism. We also need to remember that China is not a common purchaser of our wheat. And so I think some in the market got a little bit hyped up saying, okay, China doesn't typically buy wheat. Is this going to be like when they bought corn, right? They didn't usually buy a ton of corn, started with some small and all of a sudden they were gobbling up all our corn. And I think some traders were kind of, is this the start of it? And then we just kind of saw them step away and, and get what they needed. Now, I do think that they could possibly still be coming back for more. I feel like the bids are good out there. I feel like when you look at the dynamic as far as the world, you know, our U.S. carryouts were tighter, some questions over some um, crop out of, you know, winter wheat crop. But overall, you know, we don't have that accelerant. So we got our initial um, pullback or you know, retracement into the wheat market. And now we're stalling because there's no news. And that's typical for a market. But seasonally, wheat is supposed to be able to get up and running here. February is usually a really good month as well for wheat. And so um, we're not throwing in the towel yet. We're really hoping our targets do remain near $8 for Minneapolis wheat for both old crop and new crop to go on marketing. Something I think that could help exports in general of uh, both grains and livestock from the U.S. This dollar's been breaking here on some of the the thought and the talk in the trade that we're going to see rate cuts, you know, in 2024. And I, I would think that with the dollar moving lower, that's that's got to be friendly uh, to try and help out exports here. I know this past week's weekly export sales for grains and livestock was was OK. Your thoughts on that dollar breaking and whether or not it could be supportive here early in the year for our exports. Yeah, the dollar is huge, especially for wheat, because it's traded so many different areas, right? You know, when when you look at soybeans, really, you have, you know, South American us, right? So mm -hmm. um, really, when you look at it, it's such a big player into our demand structure. It's been great. I feel like if you continue to see it lower, and you're exactly right. The tone has shifted from the Federal Reserve. And that is what we need to see is that a lot of people really thought that a soft landing was not going to be possible. And, and as we approach this, some way, somehow, it continues to feel like maybe that's going to end up happening. Maybe we're going to have this soft landing. And before you know it, start to have these cuts. You have mortgage rates, the lowest that they've been in quite some time. They're still obviously high, but they're, they're off of their highs by quite a bit. And so these are all the writing on the wall to hopefully see this U.S. dollar continue to kind of be in a lower end of the range and help us with our export demand. Let's talk livestock a little bit here as well, Christy, as we're kind of wrapping up the year. You and I are talking ahead of the uh, cattle on feed and quarterly hogs and pigs report and the cold storage numbers and all that. But overall, a, a decent end to the week in cattle and hogs on Friday. 
Uh, but I think the same goes here with, with this cattle trade, especially. It's been volatile. It's been crazy. This month of December, especially, we've taken a lot out of futures and uh, watching the interest rate situation and more. It's, your thoughts just in cattle here in general, you feel like we can maybe go sideways here into the end of the year and then the early part of January. What do you think? Yeah, I actually am. Um, if we can get through this cattle on feed and hog and pig report with nothing negative, I actually think that you could get some continued strength into these markets off a couple things. Like you said, uh, the stock market, um, where you're at right now for the stock market, you've seen such a growth in that um, up over 900 points on the week. So I think that alone is really helping people worry about domestic usage. Um, you came in here and said, you know, beef production is down 2% year over year. So you're continuing that rhetoric of saying, hey, fundamentally this story hasn't changed. So we got the initial really negative cattle on feed, but fundamentally we still have issues. Cash has slipped to a degree, but it's started to really stabilize itself. So the difference between futures falling off and cash falling off was so different. And so I think if you can kind of get those lined up, I do feel like you could get to those retracement levels for live cattle and feeder cattle. They're out there, they look good. But like you said, after that cattle on feed that shook the whole, you know, dynamic, mm -hmm. I think people get really nervous coming into these reports. And we have to remember these reports, you have a whole weekend to digest them. So sometimes that's good. And sometimes that just gets people's blood boiling and they come in to start the week off really, really harsh. And so it's all going to depend on that. But I do feel like if we can get through that, the charts look good. Fundamentally, it looks good. Cash is stabilizing. I feel pretty good about it. All right. Well, as we wrap things up here today and we think about heading to the end of the year, final thoughts from you, Christy, anything else you want to mention or reiterate for folks here today as they work through the holidays here and get ready for 2024? Yeah, so I've talked, we've talked about quite a bit carry decay, um, especially for the, the corn market. Uh, the real concern that December had a low of 447 and that it went off the board in mid 450s that you could initially see um, March want to slide down there. So we need to be attentive to that, but carry in this market is your friend. And so if you look out to DS24 and you can kind of see where the price structure is, our targets are 530, but you're still looking at it and you're kind of coming in and, and for a brief second, you're like, am I gonna lose fives all the way out to 24 as well? And $5 held. And when you talk to most producers, inputs are down enough that $5 is profitable. And we need to look at that. You know, we don't want to be in a predicament where we're coming off those big years where our break evens are so much higher than where our cash trade is. I think a lot of people are dealing with that right now in wheat. And so seasonally, this might not be the best time to be selling this corn a year out. But when you look at the price structure and if it's profitable for your farm, we are not opposed to looking at this market over the next 20 cents and saying, hey, let's make sure we're doing some risk management for it. And so I think that's key coming into 2024. Christy, great thoughts. If folks want to reach out to you and the team there at Van Allen Company with questions, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, you can call us at 1-800-648-5494. And I know they could find you online as well, vanonco.com. Christy Van On, she's with Van On and Company. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Thanks for joining yes, us on the too. Market Talk today. Appreciate See it. Ya. Thanks for being with us. All right. Once again, Christy Van On, she's with Van On and Company joining us here today on Market Talk as we wrapped up trade on Friday. Again, no markets on Monday for the Christmas holiday. Traders will get back at it Tuesday morning as we work through a holiday-shortened week in the final week of 2023. Hard to believe that the 
end of the year is already here. Again, on Friday, we saw mostly mixed to slightly higher action in grains and livestock. Corn was up uh, really about a half a penny to a penny. Soybeans, two to four higher. We saw strength in bean meal. Wheat was a little more mixed. Chicago wheat saw some green, while Casey and spring wheat was mixed to lower. And then uh, we saw hogs moderately higher. Feeder cattle had a decent day with some triple-digit gains, while live cattle was mixed to round out the week. We'll be back with more here on Market Talk on the way right after this. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now back to Jesse Allen. And thanks for sticking with us here on Market Talk today. Jesse Allen back with you. Let's take a look at some news headlines before we wrap up the program. Well, U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai applauded the European Union's announcement that it's extending the suspension of tariffs on U.S. goods. Tai said in a statement, quote, for the past two years, the United States and European Union have engaged in critically important negotiations. Our goal is to negotiate a forward-looking arrangement that will allow us to join forces economically to incentivize fair and clean production and trade in the steel and aluminum sectors, end quote. Now, she points out that challenges remain as two new wars have started and global economic disruptions have continued since the negotiations began in 2021. She adds, quote, these are technically complex negotiations and the United States remains committed to our partnership with the EU and to staying at the table to continue the progress we've made so far. I'm glad the EU has announced that it is taking steps to join us in extending the time for these negotiations, end quote. Well, four new board directors recently appointed by Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack were sworn in during the Sorghum Checkoff's annual December meeting. Additionally, two producers began their second terms after being reappointed by Secretary Vilsack. The board elected Kendall Hodgson of Little River, Kansas, as the chairman for 2024. And the newly elected chair says, quote, I am honored to lead this organization into a new era of growth and innovation. Sorghum is a crop with incredible potential, and I am excited to work alongside our leaders and producers to elevate its impact. Together, we will cultivate opportunities, foster sustainable growth, and strengthen the sorghum industry, end quote. A sorghum checkoff executive director Norma Ritz-Johnson says, quote, amid the challenges of the persisting drought, innovation thrives in the heart of challenges. We are ecstatic that this group of producers and board members embody the resilience that will steer the sorghum industry towards a horizon of groundbreaking possibilities, end quote. Milk production in the 24 major milk-producing states during November totaled 17.3 billion pounds, 0.5% below November of last year. October's revised production at 17.9 billion pounds was down 0.6% from October of last year. The October revision represented a decrease of 37 million pounds, or 0.2%, from last month's preliminary production estimate. Production per cow in the 24 major states averaged 1,948 pounds for November, three pounds below November 2022. The number of milk cows on farm in those states was 8.9 million head, 26,000 head less than in November of 2022, and 9,000 head below October of this year. Milk production in the U.S. totaled 18.1 billion pounds in November, down 0.6% from November 2022. Production per cow hit 1,932 pounds in November, two pounds below November of last year. The number of milk cows on farms in the U.S. was 9.36 million head, 44,000 head below last year. 
Well, for decades, crop insurance has been a key component to the tremendous success of our country's agricultural economy. And the same was true this year. Farmers all across America relied on crop insurance to navigate risks like unplanned weather events and keep their farms going. For fourth-generation farmer Keith Brown, who grows winter wheat and grain sorghum in Kansas, this year was especially tough and was the first year in 35 years that he raised zero wheat because of severe drought. He says crop insurance is life-changing in these instances. Weather is by far the most difficult thing to deal with. <laughs> it was the first year in 35 years well since Dad's been here that we raised zero crops. And without insurance, it would have been a huge hit. It got us by, it gets us by sleep at night and uh, that's the most important thing is being able to sleep and uh, know you're covered. Well it's life changing in the fact that you don't have to worry if you're going to be here next year. You can go to bed at night and know if you don't have a crop you're still going to be here. Over in California farmer Eric Ott grows almonds, walnuts, cherries, grapes, alfalfa, silage, corn and blueberries. Like Keith, Eric faced a tough year because of weather. He went from a three-year drought to a flood in three months' time, and the flood waters destroyed two alfalfa fields and his walnut fields. Thankfully, he had crop insurance to help offset his losses and keep his family farm in business. Oh, it's sad. I mean, you put your heart and your soul into growing these things, and then it just goes like that. We need to continue to have insurance packages available to us. We're not in this to make money, to collect the insurance to make money. We just want to be able to pay the bills and sleep at night and not lose the farm. These stories explain how the farm safety net has been vital to American farmers this year and why it must be strengthened to protect and ensure the success of our farmers next year and in the years to come. You can watch these stories and learn more about the importance of crop insurance at cropinsuranceinamerica.org. Well, Farm Bureau farmer and rancher members play an important role in their communities and the organization by serving at the local, state, and national levels. Several newly appointed volunteers will provide leadership beginning in 2024 as members of the American Farm Bureau's Young Farmers and Ranchers and Promotion and Education Committees. According to AFB President Zippy Duval, quote, these newly appointed national committee members will focus on advancing the mission of the American Farm Bureau and working to build trust with consumers and others while sharing agriculture's story. Now, the YF and R committee plans programming that includes coordinating the Young Farmer and Rancher competitive events at the National Convention in January. The Promotion and Education Committee develops resources to inspire and equip the Farm Bureau to convey agriculture's importance. Well, the U.S. Department of Justice and Federal Trade Commission have released their new final 2023 merger guidelines. The guidelines are meant to promote fair, open, and competitive markets by preventing mergers that would substantially lessen competition or tend to create a monopoly. RCAF USA offered input since the agencies began the process to update the federal merger guidelines in January 2022. The group initially stated that the previous merger guidelines did not adequately address buyer power upstream in the supply chain and far too much emphasis was put on market efficiencies, which had dismantled the competitive marketing channels within the U.S. cattle supply chain. In the earlier merger guidelines issued in the 90s, the agencies were encouraged to consider expected economic efficiencies when they determined whether to challenge a merger. But many organizations, including RCAF USA, argued the old guidelines improperly allowed mergers of companies that would result in reduced market competition provided the companies could show an increase in efficiencies. The new guidelines established that protecting competition, even when efficiencies are claimed, is a primary objective of the nation's antitrust laws. 
RCAF USA CEO Bill Bullard says, quote, decades of lax antitrust enforcement due in large part to favoring efficiencies over competition has destroyed rural economies and pushed hundreds of thousands of American farmers and ranchers out of business. We must restore strength and competition, and these merger guidelines are a meaningful step toward that, end quote. Again, that is comments with RCAF USA CEO Bill Bullard. Well, we're out of time here on Market Talk today. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Jesse Allen, wishing you a Merry Christmas and a great rest of your day. Your local FS is member-owned, and that means when you buy our flagship brands like FS Envision and FS High Soy, you're actually buying seed from yourself. And you wouldn't sell yourself anything but the best, would you? In field after field, FS brands are out yielding the competition. Talk to your local FS crop specialist about Envision corn or high soy soybean seed today. At harvest, you'll be glad you did. Envision and high soy are available exclusively at your local FS member company.